This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest and really one of the most fascinating people we've ever had on the show. Dora Asinde is the Global Chief Creative Officer at Granny. They are a creative agency working with entertainment and lifestyle brands. You may be familiar with such brands as Netflix, Spotify, Warner Brothers, Amazon, Facebook, just go down the list. Just a really fascinating background and history. She, she brings a distinctly German perspective to the creative and entrepreneurial challenge of growing an agency. You don't find many black female leaders of agencies either. And, you know, she talks about her experiences uh, being a senior female leader at, at the table and getting degrading and disrespectful questions like, uh, are you sure you're supposed to be at this table? And is your bus coming? Um, just really fascinating questions that she's been asked. We talk about everything from winning new clients, international expansion, culture, what she took away from working with Netflix on the culture side that she's now using at Granny. We talk about hip hop, diversity, female leadership, empowerment. She's just an endlessly fascinating person. And she's got this real deep sense of responsibility that she feels representing minorities in her role. I could have spoken to her for hours. We really needed like three more hours to just scratch the surface of her background and history and skill set without me keeping you in suspense any further. My conversation with Dora Asinde. My name is Nathan Anibaba, and this is Agency Dealmasters. Agency Deal Masters is a series of conversations with world-class agency leaders building great agency businesses. I believe that everyone belongs in the growth journey, and this show is dedicated to the stories and the lessons of ambitious agency builders of all types by examining their history, competitive advantage, and what makes them tick. Now let's jump in. Dora Asinda is the Global Chief Creative Officer at Granny, an international creative agency whose mission is to elevate entertainment and lifestyle brands into pop culture icons. Clients include the likes of Netflix, Spotify, MTV, Sony Music, and Warner Brothers, just to name a few. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Dora Asinda, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. <laughs> Hi, this is exciting. Thank you for having me. Not as excited as, as I am, Dora. Like I'm, <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for a long time. We were introduced by Wale, who we interviewed on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he just made it very clear to me that we have to get you on the show. So here, <laughs> so here we are. Um, That's you, nice. It's very kind of him as well. <laughs> Shout out to Wale for sure. Definitely, definitely. We'll talk more about him a, a little bit later. But you've got a unique history and, and background. You dropped out of university to go freelance. You moved to Berlin after studying business studies and media studies. Did you ever think that you would end up doing the job that you're doing today? Um, no, never really. Um, so I'm kind of big on like the whole, a little bit of woo-woo, like manifestation, universe, speaking stuff yep. into existence I love thing. that, definitely. And I think I always knew what it should feel like and like what I would, 
it, I never knew it would be a job or it could be a job. I had a good idea of what the things I want to do and the things I care about feel like, and then I want to work with those. But I had no idea that this could actually be a job. And um, so now, actually, when we're on the manifestation topic, um, I realized some moments. I'm like, oh, yeah, that that's what I wanted. That feels like the thing I always mm. saw. But I had no clue that this was ever going to be my job. Because when we first spoke, you said that, you know, as a young person, you were into hip hop and street culture and just a whole bunch of other random things that you never actually thought could you could get paid for. Yeah. But actually, fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years and, and we're here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if we if we if we look at like our I, I don't I don't know how old you are, but if we look at like 20 years back when we were kids, people would have like regular jobs, right? Like people would become doctors and lawyers and teachers and all these mm. like regular jobs that also like kids books are about and your parents are excited about. Right. I didn't know anyone who actually like worked in media or who worked, especially not who worked with the internet. Like that wasn't, that wasn't a thing that many years ago. So yeah, I was into all these things and, and that you just mentioned like hip hop and street culture and, and fashion and TV shows. And it, it was, I, I had no idea that this could actually be turned into something that people pay you for and <laughs> the interesting bit is i think what i always knew or what i had a good feeling for is what's hot like what's cool hmm. and now obviously clients come to granny to to learn exactly about that what gets people talking what gets client uh, what, what gets customers excited um but yeah no there was no way this was going to be a job back then my mom was <laughs> definitely scared my mom was worried for sure <laughs> I'm sure she's happy now. Uh, so I, would, I, I hope so, yeah. You hope so. <laughs> so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Netflix before we talk about mm -hmm. Granny, because just fascinating company. I think a few people have heard of the name Netflix. Just So so fast forward a few years and you become global creative marketing manager for, for Netflix in 2018, I think it is. Tell us the route that you took to get there and what was it like working for Netflix at that time in history? Um, yeah, sure. So the route um, I took to get there, you already mentioned kind of dropping out of uni to start freelancing in Berlin. I think there were some choices I made that just maybe a little bit unusual, but they felt right to me at the time. But after like a few years of like freelancing and trying out different jobs in Berlin, I kind of did the very regular moving from position to position and then end up at Netflix and also within Netflix, like making sure that, you know, after a year and a half, two years, like moving into the next job and so on. I started um, in the fashion industry and worked for ASOS, I worked for Zalando. And then after that, the Netflix job came, um, which also started as a social media job, really, for Germany and Central Eastern Europe. And then Netflix is a great company for that because they really were serious about understanding the power of social media. Like it was, I, I had the opportunity to move into a bigger role because Netflix understood quite early. If you know how to talk to people and if you know how to get people excited about something, you're definitely the right person to also work on bigger campaigns, bigger strategy things. And when I was at Netflix, especially when I started in 2015 and then also later in like my, my global creative role, 
it was tiny in Europe, right? Like when I started, we were like 60 people in the Amsterdam office. There are hundreds of people now. And it was a very startup-y, excited energy. There were so many firsts, like the first European originals, first Swedish one, first Turkish one, the first hires from all these markets. I think when I was there, we had a good 60 different nationalities in that Amsterdam office, everybody like leaving their home country to come work for Netflix, be located in Amsterdam and just like be there together. It was, it was definitely a great time. It sounds like a really exciting time. So you ran global marketing campaigns for Netflix originals, as, as you said, across Europe, mm -hmm. Middle East and Africa. You dealt with such titles as Dark, like one of mm -hmm. my favorite shows on Netflix of all <laughs> nice. time. I love it. Uh, Elite, Quicksand, among many others. What, what's your biggest takeaway from that experience? Oh, I think on a personal level, it was an interesting learning to understand more about myself and how German I actually am. <laughs> Okay, as what do you mean in, by that? You know, as, as I said, right, 60 different nationalities, suddenly you need to make it work. What is work culture like? How do we move through meetings? What is polite in France may not be polite in the UK or the other way around. Suddenly APEC launches and your co colleague from Korea calls in. How do I present my idea to them? So they also want to be part of this global campaign. So there was a lot about that and moving to a different country and working with so many different people. And then also traveling to all these regions that I was working for it made me realize a lot of stuff about me that's actually quite German, um, which may or may not be good. No, no opinion on that. But that was like on a personal level, very right. interesting journey in regards to learning about myself. And then on a more work-related aspect, this is going to sound very simple. And it is, but at the same time, it's, it's not. Successful marketing and marketing shows people are people. We ended up looking for the human truth in everything we did. We ended up looking for the universal truth in the way we would position our campaigns or the topics in a show that we wanted to talk about. Obviously, across all the countries we worked for, the nuances are different and the stories might be a little different, but like that human truth of everybody enjoys a good love story or there are these things that we're all scared about or excited about and finding them and creating marketing around them. There's no difference whether you do that in, in Sweden or in South Africa. Hmm. Really interesting. And then what can you tell us about Netflix's culture? I mean, so much has been written and documented. It's like, it's, the the case studies for Harvard Business School and all the other <laughs> business schools around the world, Netflix's culture, um, mm -hmm. culture codes have been written and have yeah. gone viral around uh, around the internet. What can you tell us about the culture of the place at that time when you were there? I would actually say, because when I talk to my colleagues now who are still work there, it feels like a few years ago it was pretty much exactly the way you would read it in the culture memo. When you were prepping for the interview and you would go through the process and you would read up on the document or you'd read, you know, the different articles that were written about it. Some of the books didn't exist yet, like back then, like they weren't there yet. I liked that what you see is what you get with Netflix. They're not 
lying to you in the sense that we're all a big family and everything is great. No, there's a real approach to performance, what we expect people to deliver here. Um, then there's the whole sports team metaphor of, hey, you can have a few good seasons, but you know that your time might end at Netflix and there's no shame in it. To me, that worked very well. I loved the honesty. I loved the honesty of the deal. I knew what I was getting into. I knew I probably wouldn't work 30 hour weeks and chill. I knew that wasn't what I was going to get, <laughs> Right. but I knew that that was a deal that worked very, very well for me. And other than that, I think focusing on hiring great people and then getting out of the, out of their way and letting them do their job. That also really spoke to me. That was really one of my favorite job experience to have the space to just work the way I enjoy working and have people support that and allow me to do that. So let's talk a little bit about Granny now and kind of what you've learned from the Netflix experience that is now helping you um, at, at Granny. So you joined Granny in, in 2020, mm -hmm. social first agency, as I mentioned at the, at the top of the show, doing some really impressive work. What attracted you to the business in the first place? And, and tell us a little bit more about the agency. Um, yeah, so um, Granny um, is a creative agency that's focused on entertainment. So as you mentioned um, in your intro, we service a lot of entertainment clients across Europe at the moment, um, and then obviously some projects also in South Africa still. And yes, we think everything's social first. It's all about what actually gets people talking, what moves people, what people care about. And what attracted to me To what attracted me to Granny, other than the stuff that Granny works on, like the actual creative output, was really that culturally it is in some ways, not in all ways, in some ways quite similar to the Netflix culture. I think it's all about ownership and good judgment and taking responsibility for your work. That I really like. And the other element is we're 50% female owned. The two of us are women of color as well. Diversity was was important to granny from the beginning it, it's not a thing that we added to the mix the time the moment it got hot and exciting it has always been in the granny dna and i think there are a lot of values in in the way we approach work and especially working together that i shared with the founders from day one really what what can you tell us about what you took away from netflix that you're now using to grow granny And, and what did you leave behind? There must have been some things about Netflix that it's not a utopia. It's not a perfect company. Tell us what you left behind. Yeah, as, as I just mentioned, everything around like ownership and hiring good people and then getting out of their way and letting them do their job and trusting people's judgment, also trusting people to, to, to make decisions, even though I may not agree at all times. That's something we definitely took um, or almost, I think you could confidently say copied from the Netflix culture. Mm -hmm. um, Stole. What we <laughs> Steal left. Steal like an artist. <laughs> for sure. Um, and what we left behind is some of the aspects around how hard you have to perform. We are in the agency space, which is already a tough business, right? Clients expect things at a certain point date and you sometimes have to do the late shifts you sometimes have to do the weekends and making everything about 
delivering at all times isn't necessarily healthy for your employees, especially not in the agency world. And I think there's something there that we definitely left behind. I think when I left Netflix in like late 2019, like December, they were just getting started with talking about mental health and what does exhaustion look like? What's a burnout? Like all these conversations that are, I think, inherently not American, funny enough, like especially the American teams were quite new to the idea of what like- What are you talking about? Yes, exactly <laughs> that. Working on the weekends, it's what I do. And that is something that we obviously don't want to do at Granny and we want to make sure that everybody's happy and healthy. And especially now in the pandemic, it's it became even more important to pay attention to that. Really interesting. So, so tell us then- because the reality in in the agency business is that clients still expect work to be de delivered at a certain time. Um, and it's just the nature of agency business sometimes, at least I'm led to believe, that sometimes there are other occasions where you do have to work into the night and you do have to work the odd weekend every now and again. How do you square that circle when work still has to be delivered at a high standard, at a high quality level? but we still don't have the resources or, you know, we're not there as far as delivery is concerned. Well, um, I, I still expect our employees to deliver at a high level and to be excited enough about the work and excited enough about a project that a weekend sometimes is okay. And they're committed to doing that at the same time. If I have to make you work a weekend, we also expect people to take a compensation day right away. We don't check people's times. Like I'm not going to track, oh, did you have enough hours this week? Can sure. you take a day off? That's not on the table for us. We trust that everybody has good judgment also around these things. Oh, I went overtime this week or we had this massive pitch and last week was crazy. I'm going to take two days next week and nobody's going to second guess you, Granny. You need time off? Go and take it. Or you're off because you're sick? Yes, please take the time. Don't show up here if you're not feeling well. And I think that helps. And I think it also helps to talk about mental health and like exhaustion, these types of things quite openly. And also for us on like sea level to say, I need this afternoon. I'm not going to be available. I'm going to take a nap today. It just says what it is. So Granny are expanding globally at the moment. What does that look like in terms of how you operationalize? How do you think about which regions or countries to enter into? And how do you do that in a way that doesn't, doesn't make the wheels fall off? <laughs> I have no answer to the second part of that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely tough. Right. Well, we, we, we do view ourselves as a global agency and obviously global means more than the three countries we're currently serving. Um, there are a few other markets and locations that are interesting to us. Um, I will be in South Africa for January and February, not just to chill, but actually to also <laughs> look into potential opportunities I think the U.S. market is also super interesting to us. We have like this tiny, tiny office in L.A., which was actually supposed to be a, a bigger one. And then the pandemic hit and I, we actually had tickets booked and interviews lined up and like client meetings lined up and we couldn't get on that flight. Um, so the U.S. is definitely also still on the books for us. And I think if we can get 
one or two more other European locations and we have very busy five years ahead of us. We we talked to to Wale about his talent attraction process and, and strategy and, and it was a really f- fascinating part of the interview. He went into, into some depth about what he does to kind of attract and keep the best people because agency businesses are, are people businesses at the end of the day. Yeah. How, how do you think about how to do that for Granny? How do you attract the best people how do you encourage them to stay walk us through that that process for granny yeah i think also the pandemic made an interesting shift to the talent market and how tough it is to get good people and especially to get good people to stay i do feel because we are very transparent with our takes on diversity quite transparent with our take on culture You can download our culture deck on our website. We talk about it in interviews and podcasts and so on. I think I'm getting quite lucky with, especially in Germany, diverse talent that is missing that atmosphere and these values in other agencies. These people are very attracted to Granny and there's like this whole market of very great and interesting creatives that are tired of being the junior at this other agency or that don't even get to speak to the client in that other agency. Those people are very attracted to Granny. And I think there's some upside there because these values have been always very important to us. And keeping good talent is very, very difficult at the moment. I think actually I might even have the tendency to talk people out of the agency sometimes <laughs> because no, I no, think we want to keep people. <laughs> I think you should stay as long as you're happy. Um, I find it very strange when like employers almost get a little toxic energy and like right. try to you know, you won't find, I, actually people told me that some of some former employers told them that they won't find anything better. Literally the toxic X line, very strange. <laughs> as long as you're happy, you should be at granny. You should be at granny because it's aligned with your values because you get to work on exciting projects when you're there. I'm happy to do my best to make sure you work on things that you're excited about, help you maybe switch it up, help you grow, bring you into projects that you may be seeing another team that you would like to know more about. I'm happy to do all these things. You need a month off to explore what you want to do next. Happy to do that for you. But ultimately, I need people that are excited about working at Granny. And if that time comes two, three, four, five years in, mm. please go. Ha- Get experience somewhere else and call me in six months or a year or two years. That is so much better than like a group of frustrated employees who are afraid to make a move. That's terrible in my eyes. Walk us through your hiring process. I'd be interested just to know as a fly on the wall, like what is, you know, what are the main steps and milestones involved with sort of identifying someone that you really want to want to work with and then attracting them? And then what's your What's your process for sort of bringing them into the team? What does what does that look like? So, honestly, um, we're just getting better at this. Like now that we've reached a certain size, seventy people, we obviously staffed up quite significant significantly when it comes to HR and how many people work in that team. Leveling up on the recruiting process, getting a little bit better with like software solutions for that, and like really structuring it in a better way, so we just get faster. I think there's always a, a timing question as well. 
um, how, how long does it actually take from somebody like seeing granny sending the application to the point they talk to the first person and then ultimately get into the agency. I think that's getting more and more important to us. And then to me personally, the key step, because, you know, like, obviously, we will find out if you technically have the skills to do the job that is important at the same time. I don't think that what we do is rocket science. There's a lot of things in what we do that can be taught. To me, the most important piece of that process is what I would describe as a culture check almost. I'm interested in taste. To me, that's very important, at least in the creative jobs that we have. Work ethic is really important to me. I scan for ownership and good judgment. So again, do you fit into the culture? Um, will you be able to work with all these people that are very opinionated and like very passionate about their work? I think that's kind that's these are kind of like the most important things I'm looking for in the interview process, really. By the way, why why granny? Why is the agency called granny? <laughs> People keep asking that. There is a there is a, a, a media story for it, but I'm gonna give you the real story. The real right. story is <laughs> that Philip, one of our founders, is fantastic with coming up with names. They were for weeks debating what could it be. And then they sat together, they had a few glasses of wine, and Philip came up with Granny, and it is a fantastic name for an agency. It is a great name. It is a fantastic, <laughs> you're not going to forget that name in a hurry. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion, a subject which I know is is really close to your, to your yeah. heart. You wrote a post on LinkedIn recently called The Penny Dropped, My Worst Job, and it was about your experience of being a black woman in the industry yeah. that, I guess in an industry that doesn't really have a lot of diversity. Um, and I guess when you started your job in, in Netflix in 2015, you suddenly started getting invited to <laughs> certain events where I yes. guess there were fewer and fewer people of color. And you started getting asked questions, um, yeah. which I was really interested you know, to read some of those questions. Tell us about your experience. Why did you write that post and, and maybe kind of just, yeah, ex expand on some of those questions that, that you were asked? Yeah, for sure. So when I was actually asked to write that post, which um, was an article for a German um, like industry outlet, it was a time when I realized that being a black female in a leadership position is quite hot right now. It kind of became currency. A lot of people wanted to hear from me suddenly, which they didn't. Like, you know, <laughs> that wasn't the case two or three years before that. Have I changed? Have I done something? <laughs> what happened? Right? Like... Strange, but okay, I'm going to make use of that opportunity. And that request actually made me reflect on my years at Netflix and especially starting at Netflix when suddenly when you work for a Hollywood company and I, and I write about it in that post, I suddenly had access to spaces that I wasn't in before. It's part of the entertainment industry. You work with talent, you get invited to fancy restaurants, fancy hotels. That's where we work sometimes. That's where meetings happen and so on. And suddenly people looked at me in a very strange way. And I was like, what is that? That's very strange. Or like flying business class for the first time. And then like over the years doing that more often and people trying to make a point that probably that's not your seat and probably hmm. you don't belong here. And they're like, wait. But that is that is wrong. <laughs> and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use the swear word, but like mm. <laughs> you start to wonder why. 
And then over time, you also, because it's the first few times in that space is you actually think maybe I, I, maybe it's personal, right? Maybe actually people didn't get along with you or you sure. did something wrong. And then over time, you're like, okay, the eighth time this happens, the 10th time this happens, you're like, oh, okay, I see. And then there was a moment in that process when I got more access, when I got, when I, quite frankly, I made more money. I was part of certain conversations that I wasn't a part of before. I decided to make use of my seat at the table. Like if now I am in this room with all of these people that have a lot of power and that get to make decisions, I'm going to start calling them out on their stuff. And I'm going to start speaking about diversity and other topics that are important to me. And obviously that means that you sometimes kind of become the token person and they want to hear the worst stuff that has happened to you. And you constantly need to explain why it's not okay to say this or not okay to do this. But all right, if that's the bit I need to carry for everyone else at times, then I'm happy to do that. How did those conversations initially go down was there initially some discomfort in the room when you're talking about these <laughs> topics <laughs> and i say that as well because sometimes people of color can feel as though they almost need to protect other people's feelings in a certain yes. way and not sort of yes. make other people feel uncomfortable um all the time yes talk a little bit about that um i think Today, like 2020, 2021, probably the worst thing you could say to, I'm just going to say it, a white person is calling them a racist. Mm. Correct? Mm -hmm. It's very shameful. Nobody wants to be that. So every time I need to call a racist thing that happened, which doesn't necessarily mean the, the person is racist or it doesn't mean that they meant any harm, but maybe they said or did a thing right. that was racist. Every time I call that, the person obviously hears that I just called them a racist and it gets <laughs> very, very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You're going to try to do everything that you can to make sure people understand you're obviously not that and you didn't mean it that way. And explain it to me again. Why would you say that to me? Why would you say that to me in front of a room full of people? Mm -hmm. And suddenly when you were actually just trying to say, hey, you just hurt my feelings or you just did something that maybe hurt feelings of other people in this right. room you're trying to manage their feelings and trying to make sure everybody's comfortable sure and that's a terrible job having to carry your own stuff your feelings were hurt you don't feel good about the situation right. and now you're having to deal with someone else's shame which obviously mm. you also didn't want like nobody's mean-spirited right. in these hopefully most people aren't mean-spirited in these conversations you're not bringing this up to make it worse for everyone you're bringing this up because you would actually like to solve the situation or educate or be actually be be nice and make somebody reflect on the thing they just said right so yeah it's tough to bring these things up sometimes so in your role now do you feel a sense of obligation or a sense of you know i must represent i have the responsibility to represent people of color because you have uh, you know you have a level of senior seniority experience you have that seat at the table uh, to, um at places where people of color for a very long time didn't have a voice. 
what sense of obligation or responsibility do you feel? Yeah. Um, when we when we first talked about it in like our, our prep conversation, I got quite emotional about this because I think the most sense of um, responsibility I feel for the people who work for me, I want to make sure Granny is a safe space. And I want to make sure that people who might get overlooked or who might not even get the chance to enter certain spaces get that space at Granny. That's really important to me. I think the other bit where I feel great responsibility is... I don't think it's about representing black people in a certain space, but I do think that I've made it far enough to piss people off and I can afford that. <laughs> you can afford like, to do that without it being detrimental to your career or your career aspects. Absolutely or your, that. Absolutely that. Also with the agency, like we had a few cases where clients maybe, you know, didn't behave the way that was in line with their values. And we've now reached a point where I can just fire that client oh, that feels and so I don't good. need to worry about it anymore. Mm. Exactly that. That feels fantastic. But I also understand that's a very luxury position. That is a position that took a long time to get to. And now I'm going to use it for mm. sure. Love that. But all the while for younger people coming up in the industry, they're having to bite their lip or you know, sort of be lesser parts of themselves and, and, and fit in in order until the time where they can um, exercise such, such power, I guess. Um, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting situation. On the power note, though, I think something interesting happened, especially with the pandemic and like, excuse me, what people call like the great resignation, mm-hmm. I think. Or the big quit. Yeah, the big quit. Um, I think think the the position talent is in today has never been more interesting. I think agencies and clients need diverse talent because that's what consumers want, right? People want to see themselves reflected in the work. They check what the values are that a company has. Social media is a great tool for doing that, right? You can, there is no way anymore for some CEO to make some racist remark and it never shows up anywhere, which is just a different day. Exactly that. So I think given the fact that people are in desperate need for great talent, plus consumers are, you know, putting their money into companies that are aligned with their values. I don't think anyone has to sit through some of that shit I had to sit through anymore. I think you can walk and you will find a great other employer that's going to value you and that's going to respect you. I think that power dynamic has shifted greatly. Interesting. Yeah. And and that is a benefit of the pandemic. And as you say, this kind of big reevaluation that so many people are, are going through at the moment. Um, For sure. Am, yeah. am I in the right place? What am I doing with my skills and my, my abilities? Um, and do I need to go to a, an employer that values me? Really fascinating. Love that. La- last question before we get into our, our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests. I'm <laughs> really excited to ask you some of them, uh, especially the books ones. You've got a line from Jay-Z in yeah. your LinkedIn bio. I don't think most people would know that it's it's a Jay-Z line, but I'm a huge fan. So of course I did. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Great. Cool. So it's let's stick up the world and split it 50 50 that's from uh his um amazing oh god i'm blanking now um, it's hard, hard not life. life yes hard not life what what does that mean to you 
It, to me, speaks to fairness. I fundamentally believe that the cake is big enough for all of us. I don't think it's a, nobody's taking anything away from anyone if we start distributing things in a fair way. I think if we look at what's, if we look at our field, our industry, if we look at what's cool, what's talkable, what's trending, we all kind of know where that came from. And I'm going to go as far as saying, and I don't know what it's like in the UK, but like in Germany, the stuff that mainstream kids are wearing, the way that they're speaking, the music they listen to, the stuff they make their parents buy for them, that has been created in subcultures. And it's people of color who are creating what's cool. And they're creating a lot of value for businesses. And I think it's only fair that we distribute this wealth evenly. And that's kind of what that quote means to me. Love that. Absolutely love that. Um, okay, let's get into our favorite questions now. This is, <laughs> this is usually a time where it's like 10 minutes and, and we, you know, we use it to end the show. I think this could go on for like an hour, another hour, this section. But I know I don't have you for that long. Uh, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. There are so many of them. So <laughs> listen, the second you're responsible for people and then suddenly it's many people or like 70 people, you get something wrong all right. the time. You mess up the thing that you should have thought about, but you didn't. You didn't speak to the person that you should have informed, but you didn't. So I think a lot of the big learnings from the last two years at this agency are all in the people space and that you need to pay so much attention to like actually also honor the thing I'm promising my employees, which is the whole culture stuff we just spoke about. So yeah, the big learning there is it's always your fault and <laughs> that's just what it is. <laughs> Get comfortable with it. Yeah. Tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about agencies and social media and creativity and all the things that we've just spoken about. From like real life people I know um, from that angle, there's definitely like my first boss in a social media job who also had an interesting background I think never even went to uni, just started working at a very young age, very early on what the internet could be and what social could mean for companies. And he kind of hires me and puts me in charge of all of these social media things for this company. And I'm, I'm still grateful for that because I think he dared to do things that other people didn't weren't doing at the time. So that was really inspirational you know, for me in the sense of how he hired. And like he also back then, it was very important to him to have a diverse team. He gave a lot of responsibility to us back then. And he didn't have that traditional career path. So that was great. How and old when are you it comes oh I'm gonna say I'm 36 now early 20s mm. something early Super mid 20s early. Mm. so definitely very early days for okay. social media specifically yeah. and then who i admire in terms of marketing this is an edgy one it shouldn't be but it unfortunately is he made it so kanye west kanye brilliant marketeer brilliant Isn't it? oh my god one of the best 
So there's, the there's, I think there's no other figure in the marketing space that continuously gives me work envy. <laughs> that continuously produces things that I look at and go, wow, shit, this is brilliant. Or I I'm wish joking. I would have been a part of that. Right. Or I wish I would have thought of that. Right. Or I wish I had the infrastructure to do sure, something sure. like that. So yeah. definitely him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great one. That's a great one. Definitely. I'd go with that. Tell us about some of your favorite books, fiction, nonfiction. I see some of the, some of the books on your coffee table now. <laughs> There's some about. stuff. And obviously, because um, I knew you were going to ask that and I didn't want to blank because I have, a, I actually have a list on Instagram, which is like 10 plus one books, which like in different categories, yeah. I'm not going to go through all of them, but these are like my suggested, that's my suggested reading. Okay. But I'm going to say some of them the mastery of love um don miguel Ruiz. it's a relationshipy one but i think mm -hmm. it also it also talks about self-love and i think it's a great one great relationship guide but also great for self-awareness figuring things out about yourself which i think is a very important skill and knowledge to have when you lead people Radical Acceptance, Tara Brock. She is like a Zen teacher, yogi type, a meditation teacher as well. And it talks about, as the title says, accepting things the way they are and not making up bigger stories around that. And also important for our industry, we're in the agency game, we win, we lose, we lose a lot of the time, a lot of, you know, clients you don't get, clients you lose, pitches you lose, mm -hmm. and getting some patience with that, definitely also very helpful. And I'm going to say, on the business side, mm -hmm. Ray Dalio Principles. I think that's a fantastic <sighs> read as well. Brilliant book. Dense, really dense. Do you read the physical? Did you read the physical book or the audio book? I keep reading it. It is right there. I'm looking at wow. it every day. I just, it's so much. Like it's, there is no way to just like sit down and yeah. like go through it in one, yeah. one or two sittings. It's like very continuous revisiting Definitely. that book. Yeah. How long did it take you to read it? I don't know when it released. I bought it when it released and I would not confidently say it's finished, finished. <laughs> Good point. What tell us one thing from the book that you keep on going back to or you, or you keep thinking about? I think the core idea of having principles to make certain decisions. It's getting more and more interesting and important for us now that the agency is growing. Something that could be done ad hoc in the moment when we were 20 people or 30 people, it doesn't work like that when you're 70 people. You need good guidance on how to make decisions. What do we do? What don't we do? How do we look at problem solving? And I think, yeah, the overall idea of you need certain principles in life that you can set yourself. You don't need to take them from anyone. You can make them up and go by them and also continue to evolve them. But like, if you have certain principles in place for how you make decisions in life, you're going to get faster and you're going to get calmer. That idea is, I think, is the, the obviously the big one of the book, but it really resonates with me. Brilliant. And it goes back to this idea of the importance of core values, right? Because they yes. are your North Star. They are your, you know, when you're lost and you're all at sea and people are looking to you for the answer, you know, you're not pulling out of the answer from your back pocket. You've got a guiding a set yes. of principles that you're using to take you in the right for direction. Sure. I, I love that. What do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? 
Well, so on the workout side of things, before the pandemic, I actually liked going to the gym quite a bit. Um, now it's more like home workout, yoga stuff, and I'm quite big on meditation. I've been doing that for many, many years now. I think it's going to be like a good seven, eight years that wow. I'm into meditation. Amazing. And I think you, you never notice it in the moment, but then you like look back at yourself eight years ago. And I'm going to say it made a huge difference to hmm. how I feel and how I work and how I show up. So, yeah. I've struggled with 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 meditation. I go back. Mm -hmm. I do meditation periodically, like once every two years. I'm like, right, <laughs> this year I'm going to get good at meditation, and I do for like the first ten days, and then something happens. So I, I need to kind of yeah come back to you on that one. Ask you for some. Tips. I think I actually think it doesn't really matter what kind. I think it could be. And I, and I actually think like physical activity as well, like yoga also has these meditative elements. You're focused on just one thing. If you do like a very difficult movement, for example, there's nothing else for you to focus on. Your mind can't go anywhere but focusing on getting the movement right. And I think if sitting and, and breathing isn't for someone, I completely get that. I honestly think it could be, you could go down like the Wim Hof breathing exercise route or like a walking meditation, counting your steps, whatever it may be. But like that moment of not thinking about something is so healthy and so good. But I don't think people should stress out about like, oh, I can't sit still and like not think about anything for right. 30 minutes. I don't think you have to do that. Just sit still. Yeah. Anything that involves me not moving and not doing anything, like I should be a big fan of, but for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question. This is the question that I've been looking forward to asking you because we ask all of our guests, Amazon Prime or Netflix or Disney, but like you must listen, you must watch so many shows. You must be aware of so many shows. My issue is selection because there's just so, mm -hmm. I think we're living in the golden age of TV right now. Again, yeah. another golden age of TV. There's so many amazing shows what are you watching? Like, what do you keep going back to? What are your, some of your favorite shows? Okay, I'm gonna give you an edgy one on the favorite shows one. I'm, 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 and I'm, and I'm standing by it. No matter what happens, I'm gonna say Buffy is the greatest <laughs> television show ever made, for sure. And okay. then, <laughs> no, I'm interested I, to hearing where you go with this. This isn't going anywhere. I'm just. I'm just stating it's it a as a fact. <laughs> Buffy is the greatest television show ever made. Love it. As this is probably giving away already, I do love bad TV. So anything <laughs> really? reality, oh, anything reality show, like good mm. basketball wives, hip hop wives, like okay. that stuff, love it. <laughs> and then... I think on the more like nerdy side of things, like anything like in that neo-noir space, okay. like an altered carbon or like right. a cowboy bebop or maybe even a snow piercer, that I really like as well. Interesting. Okay. I've just gotten onto Cowboy Bebop. It looks mm -hmm. amazing. I'm it is so good. Is it is it? so good. Yeah. High I really had a, I was really entertained. It was great. Okay, I'm going to check that out. Not so much the Buffy the Vampire Slayer, though. I, I might <laughs> leave that one behind in the 80s or whenever it is it came out, the 90s. It was um, the 90s, but I'm going to make my case real quick. Go on. It had the first lesbian gay couple kissing on a TV show. 
It had oh, okay. technically an interracial relationship. It was between a human and a demon, but <laughs> that counts. There is a okay. musical episode. Right. And the main character isn't very likable, but the show works. There is a there is a domestic violence storyline. Right. I'm telling you, it had all the stuff that's very relevant today, and they already had it in the show back then. I'm just saying. Lo- great arguments. I love them all. I'm still not buying it, but I love how you're selling it. <laughs> what advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their career in the agency world? If you really, really have to join the agency world, if that's really your desire, don't work for free. There's this this, this weird thing that the creative in, industry does, not just agencies. I think fashion does it the same. Film often does it like internships, working for no payment, mm. especially if you're a young person and there's something, a genre or like a topic you know very well or a platform you know how to work. Like if you know how TikTok works, you probably know that better than any person up like from mid thirties onwards that works in an agency right now, you definitely know something that they don't know and they should pay you for what you bring to the table. Mm, love that. Great advice. And my final question, Dora, I could speak to you for hours, by the way, we're going to have to get you back on the show. <laughs> love to do that. What do you know about growing agencies today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? <sighs> Initially, I was going to say that it's not as easy as it seems sometimes from the outside. At the same time, I think there are a few things that we just chose to do quite naively, like opening an an office in a different country. It was like, okay, that sounds great. Makes a lot of sense business-wise. We know that there are clients there. Let's just do it. I think if we would have spent too much time thinking about it and like planning it and like running the numbers a third time, we probably wouldn't have done it. And now it worked so, so well. Great first clients are coming in. I think, yeah, sometimes it's about just like not overthinking it, delivering good creative and just doing it. Great place to end. Dora, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was great. We have been speaking with Dora Asinde. She is currently the Global Chief Creative Officer at Granny. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 150 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in the agency world. Thank you for all of your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at NathanAnnieBarber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Buaszczak is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Deal Masters.